the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now those who act like that, they're not gentle at all. Because true gentleness isn't weak. There's a strength of character that stands for the truth. It just doesn't defend ourselves when we're personally attacked. But it's strength under control and submission to God's authority. So don't mistake a nice personality with meekness. Jesus Christ himself was undoubtedly the greatest example of gentleness and meekness that the world has ever known. He silently endured shameful injustices in a phony trial, undeserved beatings from pagan Roman soldiers, and mocking from a mob at his death. Yet we also know that Jesus was neither afraid nor unwilling to confront sin and rebuke the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. His willingness to endure suffering and injustice did not spring from weakness or cowardice. I would like to welcome you to another edition of Verse by Verse. As always, our teacher is Steve Kreloff, the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are currently involved in a study of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Today, Pastor Steve will continue to explain what it means to be gentle or meek. Here is Pastor Steve. Blessed are those who in their heart of hearts know that they are bankrupt, they're poor, they're beggars, they've got nothing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have nothing by way of righteousness. So we come to him with that, that attitude. We bow low. As I said before, the entrance to the kingdom is low. And anyone who enters the kingdom enters by, by that humble, Lord, I'm, I'm nothing kind of attitude. But once we realize our true spiritual condition and we realize how sinful we are, we grieve. We grieve, we, we mourn, we're brokenhearted over our sin, not because we got caught, not because there are bad consequences, but because we understand God is a holy and loving and, and righteous God, and we are deeply grieved because we have, we have smitten him, we have grieved him, we have sinned against him. We see that in every area of life, thoughts and attitudes and motives and actions and, and even sins of omission, all the things the Bible says to do, we haven't. And so we mourn. We're grief-stricken. We cry out with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am. We say, I am the chief of sinners. And that's why Jesus said, following the brokenness of knowing where we have spiritually nothing to offer, he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we come into the kingdom as bankrupt sinners, grieving lamenting over our many sins. But now, and follow this, now comes the really hard part. You thought that was hard. It's harder still. We know before God that we are lowly, miserable, rebellious creatures, right? We are totally, everyone in the kingdom knows this. We are totally unworthy and undeserving of anything but hell. We deserve hell. We are unworthy, undeserving of anything else, right? Right? 
Now comes the really challenging part. We have confessed before God that we are wicked. We deserve nothing. We deserve eternal punishment. But then someone else comes along and treats us that way, treats us as if we are lowly, miserable sinners. They insult you. They criticize you. They talk down to you. They look down upon you. They regard you as the wretched man that you claim to be. And you know what? We resent it. We're upset. We want to give them a piece of our minds. How dare they say that about us? We want to assert ourselves. We want to strike back. We want to defend ourselves. And in reality, they're just telling us what we said we are before God. John Stott, in his very excellent commentary on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, explains it this way. And he's writing, he's part of the uh, English Anglican Church. And so you'll understand what he says here. He says, I am I am quite happy to confess, I myself am quite happy to confess the great confession. That's what they do in the Anglican church. I, I confess the great confession in church and call myself a miserable sinner. It causes me no great problem. I can take it in, in stride, but let somebody else come up to me after church and call me a miserable sinner. And I want to punch him in the nose. I don't know that Anglican rectors want to do that, but apparently they do. He said, in other words, I'm not prepared to allow other people to think or speak of me what I have just acknowledged before God that I, that I am. He said, there is a basic hypocrisy here. There always is when meekness is absent. See, a meek person doesn't strike back. A meek person has a proper estimate of himself, not only before God, but before others as well. He sees himself as someone who is a vile wretched sinner. Therefore, he does not deserve any praise from man. He may get it, but he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't let it go to his head. There's nothing in himself to boast about. There's nothing really to to praise. In fact, if the truth be known, what people accuse him of, he's far worse than what they even accuse him of. If only they knew. You say this about me. Yeah, well, I really know how wicked I am. I'm far worse than anything you can come up with. That ought to be the attitude. So therefore, he doesn't defend himself because bankrupt, grieving sinners have no defense. I told you it was not easy. Now, you don't want to be, and I don't want you to be discouraged by this, because I, I know you, you, you hear this, and if you have any sensitivity to the Lord, you're, you're smitten in your heart, like I've been during the week. Don't be discouraged by this because you haven't reached perfection in this area. Nobody's reached perfection in this area. Only Jesus was perfect in this area. But all believers, having said that, we may not be perfect in this area, but all believers, and I mean all believers, have a measure of meekness in them. Has to be there. You may struggle in this area, we all do, but meekness is one, and this is the point of this beatitude and all the beatitudes, meekness is one of the distinguishing marks of citizens of the kingdom. All these beatitudes, there are no commands here. Jesus is just saying, this is the way you are if you're in the kingdom. In contrast to those outside of the kingdom, unbelievers, who are characterized by pride and self-will, all those in the kingdom have a quality of meekness about them. Now, some may have more of a quality. Some may have cultivated this virtue more than others because of spiritual maturity. But every true believer has meekness to a certain extent. 
has humility, has meekness, gentleness to a certain extent. If you have no meekness about you, and I mean if your life is totally characterized by pride and defensiveness and, and resentment and retaliating against others, you're always asserting your rights. You're, you're always, you always have to be right. It's always your way. You always put yourself ahead of others without any repentance. You never feel bad about it. You never make a change about it. If that's true of you, you have never entered the kingdom. Never. That doesn't mean you don't struggle in these areas, but if there's no struggle and pride reigns supreme in your life and that's all that reigns, it's your way or the highway to everybody else, then you have never experienced the new birth. You have never bowed low in entering the kingdom because in the new birth, God transforms our arrogance into meekness. And yes, there are times we still struggle with that, lots of times, but he's done a work of transformation. He's given us a new nature, the divine nature, the Bible says, and that nature is his nature. And therefore, we become humble and meek like Christ. To some extent, it's got to be there. Meekness then, and I want to be very clear about this, is not a natural personality trait. It is the work of the Spirit of God. And I I want you to see this is very important. It is produced by the Holy Spirit, first at the new birth, and then cultivated as we grow in Him. I'd like you to see that, Galatians chapter 5. And I'll show you in a moment why it's important that we make this distinction. It is supernatural. You, you You are not meek. No one is born meek. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, Paul outlines, and it's not exhaustive, but he outlines the works and deeds of the flesh. This is the way all unbelievers are, if not always outwardly, certainly in their hearts. This is the way we all were. If if, If you've come to Christ, this is in the past. This controlled us. Verse 19, he said, now the deeds of the flesh are evidence, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these. No, no wonder we're grieving sinners. This is the way we, we've been. He said, and, and such as as this, it means there's there's more. He said, uh, just as you uh, have forewarned you that those who practice, and that's the key, they practice such things. This is their lifestyle. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because they're not they're not believers. They evidence they're not believers by by this. But he says in verse 22, the fruit of the spirit. That is what the spirit of God produces in you by virtue of the new birth and then sanctification. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, and notice this, gentleness. That's, that's the Greek word that's used in the Beatitude. Gentleness, self-control against such things, he says, there, there is no law. There is no law. This is the epitome of the law. This is the point of, of the law in one sense. It's, it, the Spirit has produced this. What, what the law could not produce, the Spirit has produced. Now, the reason I bring this out, the reason I bring this out, very important to understand, some people mistake uh, a nice personality, an easygoing personality with meekness. Oh, this person's so nice. Never, you can't get into an argument with them. They, they'll, they'll let you have air, anything you want. They never, they never are contentious. Don't, don't think like that. Someone you never have a conflict with because they're so nice is not the same thing as meekness of character. In fact, a person who you never can have a conflict with is probably indicative of a weakness in character. It's usually an individual who wants to avoid conflict at all costs. 
even at the cost of compromising Scripture. They won't take a stand. So, of course, you don't have a conflict. Or, or there's, somebody, there's somebody who's been raised in a home where there's always arguing going on, and, and they're just never going to argue again. They're never going to stand up for anything, even if it's a biblical truth. That's the kind of person who says, let's just be nice. Let's just be happy. Let's not get into anything that will cause a disagreement, that will divide us. Let's not do that. Now, those who act like that, they're not gentle at all. Because true gentleness isn't weak. There's a strength of character that stands for the truth. It just doesn't defend ourselves when we're personally attacked. But it's strength under control and submission to God's, to God's authority. So don't mistake a nice personality with meekness. Dogs have nice personalities, but they're some at least. One I know in particular. But people are not born like that. That's the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. So you can see this, you know, the, the challenge is when you explain a concept like this, that, that it's, it's often, there's so many angles to it that oftentimes I find that when you run across something like this, it's easier to illustrate than to explain in concrete terms. So that's what I want, want us to, to do. I, I want us to look at some Old Testament and then New Testament examples of meek people. When you see this in action, when you see meekness in action, you go, oh, that's, that's what it means. That's how it's lived out. So let's, let's look at that in the Old Testament. Let's turn to Genesis 13. The first meek person we meet in the Bible is Abraham. Abraham was a perfect gentleman, wonderful man, father of, of the faithful. In, in, in Genesis 13, we read the story about he and his, his nephew Lot. Now keep in mind, Abraham's been promised the whole land. I don't know what Lot's doing with him. He's just hanging on. He's, he's his nephew, and uh, he's not a gentle man, but Abraham is. Notice, beginning at verse 5. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If, if to the right, if to the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if to the right, then I'll go to the left. Folks, what, what you see here is a man who is meek. This is a man who could have pulled rank. This is a man who could have said, I don't even know what you're talking. I don't even know why you're with me. I don't know what you're doing here. This is all mine, been given to me by God Almighty. You're hanging on here. By right, you don't, you shouldn't have any of this. It's all mine. So, so listen, get out of here. But he didn't do that. Lot was essentially a nobody. He's just the nephew of the great patriarch. And yet Abraham, instead of asserting his authority and standing up for his divine rights, for the sake of harmony between their households, he said, we're brethren, we're brothers, as well as the testimony before the Canaanites in the land. He waived his rights. He said, look, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You, you make the first choice. He literally laid aside his power to have all the land and do as he pleased. And it would have been his right to do that. He just yielded to Lot. And he didn't complain. 
He didn't whine about it. He didn't protest. Folks, that's strength under control. This is an illustration of meekness in action. There are certain things in your life and in my life we may have every right to do, but you can waive those rights in esteeming others more important than yourself. That's the way Abraham lived. Another example of a very strong character, one of the strongest characters in in Scripture was Moses. I remind you that Moses was strong. We know this by several incidents in his life. Early in his life, he killed an Egyptian who was attacking some Hebrew slaves. You imagine that? He killed the man with his own hands. That's not only a man strong in character, that's a man strong in strength. Not only that, he also had the courage to face Pharaoh and boldly demand, not once, not twice, but many times, the release of his people. Let my people go, he said. Stood up to Pharaoh. And I remind you that Moses became so angry, so enraged, that when the recently released Jewish people built and worshipped a golden calf, as Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, when he came down and saw that, and they were having really a a drunken orgy too, Moses took the, the first set of tablets containing the Ten Commandments and he smashed them. That's an angry man. That's a man of strength of character. It's not a pushover. Yet the Bible says and I don't know if you're aware of this, that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. It says that in Numbers, just a few books beyond Genesis. Numbers chapter 12. Let me read this to you, verses 1 through 3. Then then Miriam and Aaron, Miriam was his sister, Aaron was his brother. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses, and it's very interesting, because of the Cushite woman, woman from probably from uh, Africa, Ethiopia, whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. I don't know if it was racism here. We're not sure. It could have been because she was black-skinned. It could have been because they were threatened by her. Uh, maybe Miriam uh, didn't like her um, having the ear of Moses. We're, we're not sure exactly, but there was some incident over this woman. So they rebelled against Moses. And here's what they said. Has the Verse 2, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Folks, this is a potential coup. This is a rising up. This is saying, who are you? We're your flesh and blood. Not this lady. You're not the only one who God speaks through. We're right there with you. And then verse 3 says this. Now, the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And the proof of this is that the story goes on as the the story unfolds. Moses never defends himself, never fights his brother and sister, never says, let me explain to you how God revealed himself to me and, and who are you and what are you doing and get out of here. Didn't do that at all. In fact... You go down in the story and you read that what, Mo, what, what God did is he gave leprosy, a skin disease, to Miriam, which I find very ironic. If indeed, if indeed Miriam was complaining and was racist about his black-skinned wife, if indeed that was the case, it is highly ironic that God gave her uh, incredibly white skin and not clear skin, but the white skin of leprosy. It may very well be that God said, you have a problem with black-skinned people? Then I'll show you. You want white skin? You'll see what white skin is. She was afflicted with leprosy. And the Bible says in verse 13, Moses being a man who did not defend himself, though he defended others, Moses, it said, cried to God asking him to heal her. 
Wow. Here's a woman who, if possible, would take over. Everything would cast you out. And Moses is crying out for God to heal her. Here's a woman who just insulted your wife. Moses is crying out for God to heal her. See, Moses in his strength was quick to defend others. The oppressed Israelites, he defended God's honor, but he wouldn't defend himself. He would not vent anger against those who spoke against him. And once again, that's meekness in action. People speak against you. People say things that are hurtful. Moses not only didn't defend himself, he's crying out on her behalf, doing something positive for her. There's another great example in the Old Testament of a strong character in Scripture, and, and that's King David. Second Samuel, if you can find it, it would be good to see, but I'll explain it anyway. Second Samuel 16. The, the scene here, the context is that David has a son named Absalom, who has rebelled against his father. He's, he's essentially, he, has, he, he is in the process and succeeding in a coup, in rebelling against his father. And it's one of the most pathetic scenes in all of Scripture. You have King David, the, the anointed one, who is in dejection, having to leave Jerusalem and, and an entourage following him. They are, at this point, losers. They are defeated, and they have to get out of the capital city. And as they're departing, we read this in verse 5. When King David came to Baharim, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul. Remember, Saul was the first king that, that uh, the people chose, but David was God's choice. It's, his name was Shimei. He was the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and his left. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed, you worthless fellow. He's saying this to David. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of, of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. Behold, you are taken in your own evil. You're a man of bloodshed. Then Abishai the son of Zariah said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over there and cut his head off. But the king said, what have I to do with you, O sons of Zariah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who should say, why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite, let him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing. What an amazing, this is David. This is a man who conquered kingdoms. This is a man who could have, at the snap of a finger, had his man Shimei's head cut off, but he didn't do that. You know why? Number one, he recognized that what Shimei was saying was true. You are a man of bloodshed. You deserve this. You, have it, you had it coming to you. There's a deep repentance in David. He recognizes that he is a sinner before God, and this man is simply telling him that you're right. You are. And he believes, he believes that it's coming from the Lord. The curses are coming from God. And David has displayed here great meekness in not reacting to Shimei and killing him, even though he had the power to do it. You see, that's the same thing as someone coming along to you and saying, you're so this and you're so that and you are... You know what? Yeah, I am that, and I'm far worse. 
Yeah, that is from the Lord in the sense, I know I'm a wicked sinner. That's exactly what's happening here. Now, in the New Testament, apart from Jesus, the greatest example of meekness is none other than the Apostle Paul. And I think that one of the uh, one of the, the, the best illustrations of this is the abuse that Paul took from the Corinthians and how he responded to them. Not too long ago, we, we studied 2 Corinthians. And remember how Paul was abused by, by this church? They accused him of, of lying to them, said, I said you'd visit, but you're not going to do that. They, they accused him of being a false apostle, of, of being deceitful with money matters, of preaching error, of committing shameful acts, of suffering because he was being punished by God. And, and many others, they listened to the false teachers who had all these things about Paul. And how did Paul respond? Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 11. My mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children open wide to us also. You know what he's saying? I love you. No matter what you say about me, no matter how you treat me, my heart is open wide to you. And I'm, I'm appealing to you. Love me the way I love you. Folks, that's a meek man. And the only time Paul did defend himself at the end of this letter, he did it as an apostle, not personal. Because he realized if they don't believe he's an apostle, which was the main accusation against him, then whatever he teaches means nothing. So, so there's a defense, but only in the sense of his apostleship, not, not personal. Thank you for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. If you would like to know more about our ministry, you can call us at 727-239-0306. We also invite you to visit our website where you can explore more information about this ministry and even listen to previous broadcasts. The address is versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.